we had just gotten a, a card this week from Pam Thomas, who works with the Wake County Services, and she writes to our church, Thank you, Green Pines. God shows his love through the warmth and kindness of special people like you. Because of you, our program has a location to host foster care and adoption group meetings while providing the children who attend a wonderful place to play. God bless you for helping us to succeed. This is a letter that was given to us. Uh, our, building, and I hope our building is uh, utilized by this group uh, to help them with their meetings and foster care. And this building here, as, as I mentioned before, uh, last week, it, it's not necessarily God's house in that it's a unique place of worship, but it is a house that belongs to God, just as your house belongs to God. And so, consequently, we want it to be used and uh, used for the glory of God. And so this has just been one way uh, of opening it up to uh, this group as well as the uh, Community Watch for the Green Pine neighborhood that we can be a blessing. Now, I want you to hear from two or three others that uh, have a testimony uh, from their work uh, in this past few months. I'm Scarlett Hoover, and I help in delivering turkeys door-to-door for the Love Out Loud program. It made me feel really nice to give the turkeys to the families, especially the people that didn't necessarily have a turkey for their Thanksgiving dinner. Um, there was one family, and the man, the husband, couldn't get out of his chair, and the wife was hard at hearing and their daughter was taking care of them, and they invited us into their home and told us stories about their Thanksgivings that they had had prior to them getting older, and it was really nice. Like, it made me feel really good that we were doing that. Hello, my name is David Eckert. Uh, I participate participated in the Love Out Loud program with the, the turkey uh, uh, distribution. and uh, I participated in it because uh, I wanted to, to take my daughter with me and to show uh, what, uh, uh, what it's like to, to sacrifice and, and to go out and uh, uh, show what God has done in, in our lives. And uh, we had a lot of different uh, uh, stories of meeting different people in the community. Uh, one that was, uh, was very touching, we had one uh, gentleman who lost his job and, and actually didn't know how he was going to uh, you know, have a Thanksgiving dinner. And so by us giving the, the turkey dinners, uh, really was, uh, was, was heaven sent for, for that family. My name is Joyce Willard and I work in the church office. I was helping with the Love Out Loud Thanksgiving baskets. We had uh, a list of people that would get baskets uh, guaranteed, and then we had a waiting list. And after the original ones were handed out on Monday night, we had the, the job of calling back the people on the waiting list to let them know that they would have a basket to pick up. And we tried very hard to get to everyone. During those calls I talked to, there were a couple people that stood out in my mind. The first one was a lady that I called her and told her why I was calling, that she would get a basket. And she told me that we were in answer to prayer, that the night before she'd been praying that the Lord would, would see that she would get a turkey for her Thanksgiving dinner. And she was very uh, excited about it and happy that we called her back and thanked us very much. The second call was a woman that was uh, really excited about getting her basket. 
she uh, thanked me when I told her and then told me as we were hanging up after we talked a little bit, she uh, got real animated and started saying, well, uh, have a blessed, wonderful, thankful, loving, cheerful, terrific Thanksgiving. And they said, and God bless you. So it was, it was very evident that she was very excited about getting that basket. Those are a few folks that uh, had part in it. Um, David Eckert, one of the folks that he visited, um, had a hard time persuading the lady that he was giving the turkey to that it was a gift. Uh, she kept asking, what's the catch? And he said, there, there's no catch. No, really, what's the catch? And she did this about three or four times, insisting that they had to be a catch. And we almost wanted to make a catch for her just so she would be, you know, pacified, but you know, she was just not used to a church demonstrating uh, love that way. And uh, it, it's a wonderful thing to do. And it, it's amazing, as, as Joyce was sharing uh, how this lady saw this the food and the turkey that was given as an answer to her prayer, um, it, it's amazing how when you make yourself available to be a channel of blessing, that God puts you in touch with people who've been praying for days, sometimes months, sometimes years, to be the answer to that prayer. You become part of God's mysterious will. It's amazing to me how if you would just be available for God to use, He will put you in places that He has orchestrated since before the foundation of the world. It blows my mind. But God, He has a way of showing Him strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. He has a way of doing that. I just encourage you to see how God will show himself strong in your life if you have a heart loyal to him. And so the question that comes is, what's behind all this? Let me just take you to our text this morning. We've got just a little while to look at this, a few minutes. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15 through 28. And in this passage, I just want to introduce to you that it is the heart of love out loud. It is the reason why we as believers make ourselves blessings to others. If you have a subtitles in your Bibles, it might say redemption through the blood of Christ. And that is a good subject for what we'll be talking about. It is the fact that we have been bought by the blood of Christ. We are not our own. We belong to Him. And we are thankful for it. And so, uh, let's just uh, read together as we go, uh, starting with verse 15. Last time, we looked together at chapter 9, and we see how, saw how Jesus, through His sacrifice on the cross, made our consciences clean. And that is a wonder to, to, to see, that our conscience can be clean before God, not because of, of some steps of punishment that we put upon ourselves, but because Jesus' blood has come before us, before God, in his throne, and purified our conscience. And so, uh, he continues with that same train of thought, talking about how why Jesus' sacrifice is better than the Old Testament sacrifice. So let's stand as we read together, verse 15, reading through verse 28. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant 
so that those who are called may receive the promised internal or eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet, wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with, with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You may be seated. There's a lot here for you to study and think about. Well, let me just go through verse 15. Uh, Notice the title given to Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Now remember, chapter 8 and chapter 9 is about comparing the old covenant with the new covenant, all right? And so the argument is that this covenant is a much better way of coming to God than the old covenant. All right? And so he likens it to verse 15 and 16 to a will. Uh, now, you notice he says, verse 15, that this is given to those who are called that they may receive a promised internal inheritance. And so the emphasis is that God is involved in the calling of his people and that he is the one who gives them something that will last for eternity. And he uses that word inheritance, brings out this idea of a last will and testament. And so he says, verse 15, a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now, in verse 16 and 17, as he uses this word will, he uses a play on words, okay? The word used for the word will, one meaning of it is the meaning we understand, last will and testament, you know? That thing when someone dies, uh, there is instructions concerning the, the possessions thereof and how it is to be given out. All right, So there's that meaning of the word. And in that sense, see, also we understand for that will to be effective, someone must die. For those uh, promises to come into life, that person must first die. It doesn't do to go to someone's house and say, hey, I'm going to use your house. <laughs> well, why, why are you going to do that? Well, because you said that I could in your will. Wait a second, I've got to die first, all right? So the, the promises first come after death. And so that's the, the image that he means. And then there's the second meaning, okay? This is something that we wouldn't catch, but in that day and time, that same word for will is also the same word for covenant, okay? Covenant. Now, we saw this in the book of Genesis, and we see this in the book of Exodus, that when a covenant took place, 
that the ceremonial rules was that something had to die, and they would shed the blood. We saw in one case in, the, in Genesis where an animal was split in two, uh, and, and the two parts laid aside, and they would walk in the midst of that to show uh, that the covenant was effective. And so that same image there, he's, he's bringing as well to the New Testament. He says, okay, just as in the Old Covenant this happened, so too in the New Covenant, this covenant has been sealed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's why he's bringing this about. Verse 17 and verse 18 uh, bring this. Now, what's interesting, as we read in this passage, is that normally when you have a last will and testament, the one who dies, they're not the one who is the executor of that will, right? They can't be. There's someone that must continue on. So who will be the executor for Jesus Christ's death? Who's going to be that one? Well, this is where the resurrection comes into play because Jesus is not only the one who dies, but he is also one who is the executor, who is the one who will carry out the benefits of this new covenant. So, verse 19, he likens the new covenant to the old covenant, how the bloods of calves and goats were used, sprinkling on the Old Testament, uh, saying, verse 20, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. He's quoting, looking back to the book of Exodus at this point. But doesn't that sound familiar to the Last Supper? Remember when Jesus said in the Last Supper, this is my blood which is shed for you. This is a, a covenant, a new covenant. This is why he used that language, why the juice and why the bread represents the blood and the body. It represents that someone died to make sure that this will became effective. All right? Now, we keep on reading in verse 20, in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in the worship. So now as we read in verse 21 and 22, 23, it's a reference to the old tabernacle. Remember, he's bringing that image out, the Ark of the Covenant. We tried to look at that picture last week uh, and the various pieces, how that was sprinkled with the blood to show that that has been purified. The sin of this earth had been set apart because of the blood of these animals. And so he brings that idea, the image up, and says, verse 22, everything, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin because it represented death. Bloodshed represented death. And something had to die. Did the animals they sacrificed save them? No. No. The blood of animals cannot save mankind from their sin, but it pointed to the one who could. The animals was a way of pointing to Jesus Christ. So how did people get saved in the Old Testament day? In the same way they do today. By faith. By the grace of God. By faith. Looking forward that one day God would provide a perfect Passover lamb. That one day God would provide that one without blemish whose blood would satisfy God's wrath for their sin. And they looked forward. Today, you and I... We look back. And I, don't think, I don't think I will trade that. You know, we can look back and see what Jesus did and believe that God uh, saved us through that sacrifice. So it's done again by faith, just as the Old Testament did. Romans 4 brings out that it's Abraham was saved by faith as we are saved by faith. Now, verse uh, 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. In other words, we saw the tabernacle was a copy, a pattern of something that went on in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual world, in the presence of God. But notice it says it was necessary for these things of heaven to be purified with these rites. Let me ask you this question. Why? Why do the things of heaven need to be purified? Is sin there? 
Why do they need to be purified? Just keep that question in mind. So we see that the purification done in verse 23 is done by a better sacrifice. Verse 24, Christ is the sacrifice. Christ is entered in, not into the holy places made with hands, not in the patterns and the copies, but in heaven itself. Verse 25, or notice verse 24 at the end. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. That question, why did the heavenly things need to be purified? Because Jesus was coming in on our behalf. It wasn't because of the heavenly atmosphere. It was because of who was being atoned for. The fact that I, my name was on Jesus' mind, that uh, he said, you know, someone needs to take care of this person's sin. He is a sinner. He is dirty. He's got in his heart. There must be purification. He is so dirty that even if I come in representing him, representing him, in this heavenly place, there needs to be a purification done. Do you understand how different we are from God? You know, we, we're dealing with that today. Folks coming into our cars, to our buildings, you got snow on their, on their boots. And we're saying, hey, get the snow out of here. Just, you know, knock it off. We don't want this in our buildings. We don't want it in our cars. It is as if, as Jesus is coming, representing us, there is still the idea of Jared's sin, that he is representing me, and God is saying, ah, no. No sin in this place. No sin in this place. You represent him, you represent a sinner. There must be purification done. So Jesus comes. If he's going to come representing me, he must come representing me with blood coming from his head, his side, his feet, and his hands. If he's going to represent me. Because my sin is too much. It is too dirty for the presence of God. And so it is because Jesus is on our behalf that the heavenly things need to be purified. Verse 25 nor was it offered himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. Jesus' blood was so pure that it, it does not need repeating. It is so great, the sacrifice so effective. No repeats required. Okay? Uh, I think about this with uh, my parents. Two and a half years ago, we went to Israel. And we went to Israel on mom and dad's dime. They made it as a gift. They paid for everything. And so, uh, my wife and I went, and uh, we would get on a bus, or we'd have a tour guide, and we ask, hey, do we need to pay the tour guide? Do we need to tip him? No. It was already taken care of in the initial price. We go to a restaurant, have a nice buffet. Okay, um, do we need to pay these folks? No. It was taken care of. And the price. I didn't have to call mom and dad up and say, hey, you know what? I'm here at the tax again. Can you just let them, you know, give, get some money to them? I didn't have to do it repeatedly throughout because the price was so great, so effective at the very beginning, at the outset, it took care of it for the entire time of the trip. 
what we have in Jesus Christ is that his blood is so precious, his person is so holy, him being God himself, that when he lays down his blood and dies for you, the price is so good that it covers you, not for a week, not for two weeks, not for ten years, but for eternity, your sins are covered. You don't have to go up to God and say, God, hey, you know what? Uh, I think we might need another installment of the blood of Christ. No, it's done. It's taken care of. When at that moment we sense the sin, God convicts us of the sin of our life and our heart, and we are ashamed for our sin, and we ask ourselves, is there anything I can do to make this right? Maybe, God, if I give up something extra this week, maybe it will help atone. Do you understand that what is talking there, interesting enough, is pride? Is pride talking? That maybe I can have some part in getting myself right with you, God? No, you cannot. It is impossible. The sin you've done, the crime you've done is too great. And the sacrifice of Christ is too precious. It cannot. By adding anything to it, you demean it. You demean it. It's kind of like someone cleaning up the room, your kitchen, and they do it as a sacrifice of love and say, look, I want to give you a gift. I want to clean your kitchen. They do a good job. But then you come in and say, oh, let me just sit right here real quick. You know, and clean this counter real quick. What are you saying to the person who did it for you? It's not enough. Your work's not good enough. Now, if a guy did it, that's understandable, all right? But when we start doing that to Christ, do you see how you demean it by saying, let me add to salvation, let me go to church, let me be good, let me give, let me uh, go on a crusade against all those who are wrong, let's go to Haiti, let's do all this stuff, and we start saying, I'm going to do this because because I've got sin in my life? No. You demean Christ. Now, does that mean you don't do good? No. You do good, but it's totally different in why you do it. The motivation is different. What we do here at Love Out Loud is not to try to atone for the sins of green pines in the past. And so that green pines have had a bad reputation in the past, and so we want to atone for it and do all these good things. No. That's not why we do it. We do it Because the same Christ who laid down his life for us, his spirit is in us. His nature, the same nature that came not to be be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That same spirit is now in us. So I love that card that was written. Thank you, Green Pines. God shows his love. Do you understand that what is behind this defibrillator is not some good people. It is the love of God that's being demonstrated. That's the only reason why we do what we do. 
when we give out the turkeys and when we, when we go in just a little bit and meet with people in prayer, whether it's the clothes closet, the toys, the various things, it is to be the love of God. It is not our love that does it because the same spirit, the same nature that brought Christ to the cross is in our hearts. He frees us. He frees us to love out loud. We're not spending our days to try to atone for past sins. Verse 26, if this was the case, if Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient, then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Ever since Adam and Eve first sinned, there would have had to be some kind of work of Jesus' death every day since that point. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 27, just as it appeared for man to die once and after that comes judgment. All right couple things here. There is no mention of reincarnation here. It says, it's appointed. You will die. Once. Once. Not several times until you get it right. Okay? Once. And then after this, there is a judgment that takes place. This does not preclude the fact that there's judgment that can happen beforehand. There is indeed. But there is, the Bible speaks of, an overall judgment that will take place at the end. Death comes first. Now, he says, he compares that to Christ. We came, we died once, and then there's a judgment. But Jesus also, also he came. But he comes, verse 28, offering once to bear the sins of many. We die once, Jesus one time offers to, buy, uh, to bear the sins of many. But then he'll appear a second time. This second time alludes to the judgment that we'll have. What happens the second time? Not to deal with sin, that's done, it's taken care of, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Well, I thought Jesus already saved them when he dealt with their sins. What's he talking about? Remember, this is being compared to our judgment. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God when there's sin in your life. So, what do we do? We die once, we come judgment. Jesus come, he's bore our sins, and so now he's come to save us. What does that mean? In that judgment time, he saves us from damnation. The fact of the matter is, God does give a damn. He said right here, he gives damnation. He gives damnation. So, why is 28 important? <laughs> he saves me from it. He saves me. He saves me from the sin of many. He's borne it on his cross. And then at the time of judgment, after my death, he saves those who are eagerly waiting for him. The fact of the matter that there's this type of person that wants to be saved from damnation but does not want Christ... That's at odds here. Those who want to be saved from damnation must also eagerly wait Christ. They wait for Him. So why do we do this, this love out loud? <laughs> because the fact of the matter is, Nightdale has been appointed once for them to die. And after this, the judgment. There will be a day and time when someone hears clear... And it does no good. 
There will be a day and time when no defibrillator can rescue you from the judgment to come. And the only thing that can rescue you is that perhaps the gospel has entered into your life before that and you trusted in Jesus Christ and His work. Those of us who have trusted in Christ and His work, that He's done once, sufficient, no repetition needed, we trust wholly in that, then God puts His nature within us so that we eagerly wait His coming. So what do we do while we're waiting? We let the love of Christ come through us. We demonstrate the gospel. Love out loud. If it's a church program, it's a program that must never quit. But I think instead it's just what church is supposed to do. We just got a nice little name for it. It's just what a church does. It is a church focus. It is church action. It is the Spirit of Christ demonstrated to Nightdale. So let me just share with you, because Christ has redeemed you, trust Him and love out loud. Let's pray. Father.